So let's turn together to John 13 and verse 1, and we'll return for a moment to the passage we looked at this morning, because it's there we see Jesus point to something I think is very important for people in the church. It's also something very important for believers who have a spouse, or believers who have children, or if you're in the workplace, or you are an employer, or you are in the business place, you're out doing business with people. I think we've pretty much covered everybody in the room at some point here. We're all living this life in this world. And there is a truth here in John 13, 1 that I think is very necessary for us to grasp and take personally. And I want to point to that truth from our passage. And it's something that Jesus demonstrated so clearly that the Apostle John had to point to it and emphasize it here in John 13, 1, where he writes... Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. There's something here for us from the life and ministry of Jesus that is demonstrated very clearly there in his life and ministry. Love is this. uh, We see this emphasis on love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And here's here's an important truth for us. Love is powerful. Love is powerful. In fact, love is so important... The Bible puts a heavy emphasis on believers making sure they have it. We're to be learning to love as God's children. Not long ago, I was listening to a podcast that my brother Ken has been doing for a while for men. He's been a pastor for, I think, about 30 years probably a little longer than that. Great Bible teacher. And I was listening to his podcast for men. And in the episode that I was listening to, he was teaching the importance of learning how to love and making a commitment, making several commitments as believers to, to loving the way the Bible describes it. I mentioned this morning that you look at the world around you, you'll find out the world does not understand love in a biblical sense, from a, from a standpoint of truth. The world's idea of love is twisted. Uh, this episode that I was listening to that my brother had done for men, a podcast episode, was very encouraging to me. It was so powerful to me, so convicting to me, that I realized it was uh, an important truth for the church. Something that he's taught before, and I think that he had repeated there in that, that episode. And, and so I messaged him, and I said, Hey, do you mind if I... <laughs> Do you mind if I stand on your shoulders and, and borrow your, and just uh, take what you said and, and kind of re-say it in my own words and, and uh, take, your, take your outline from that, basically? And that's what I've done tonight. I, I didn't know at the time when I was going to use it, but I felt so strongly about it. It was a, a really good and powerful uh, message that we need to hear this truth. And he was uh, happy to let me use it. Um, I kind of set it aside. And then this week as I was studying verse 1 in chapter 13 and thinking about the example that Jesus set forth in his life 
I realized I wanted to share this tonight. The Scripture, in fact, puts a very heavy emphasis on the importance of believers loving, learning how to love, being, not in the worldly sense, but in in a biblical sense, being lovers, being people who love other people. It begins with your love for God. You're supposed to love God, of course, but that should overflow into your life in such a way that you you find that it results in being a person who is a lover of people. In Mark chapter 12, we hear this in verse 30. You shall love, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, you know it, heart, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. How does God... Think about this. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with everything you have, in other words. Every ounce of you is to love God. And how does God expect His children to demonstrate their love for for Him? Verse 31. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor. You know this, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. It sounds like a singular commandment the way that it's said there, doesn't it? There's no greater commandment than these. Love God, love people. God says, if you want to love me, if you want to demonstrate your love for me, then learn to love people. Maybe you never thought about it this way, but love is also the summary of the Ten Commandments. Have you thought about that? Love is the summary of the Ten Commandments. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you want a shortcut to fulfilling God's law, then love Learn to be a lover of God's people and of the people around you that God has put in your life. And I would suggest that a maturing Christian will be a good lover of others, will be learning to be a good lover of others, convicted by God's Word, led by God's Word, to learn to love people. And those who love others fulfill the law. And says Matthew 22, Verses 39 and 40. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, that, that again, echoing what we just heard, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So the summary of the whole Old Testament is love. And we need to take this seriously. It's easy, I think, for us to think of someone who rubs us the wrong way and, they, and just say, they're impossible to love. And if we say that, I think we're forgetting about where we were before we knew Christ. So the summary of the whole Old Testament is love, says James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. 
Now, go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, and you might argue, is love really that important? Is love really that important? And I just read to you a third passage that ties love to the fulfillment of the law of God. And so I would argue with the Bible that yes, love is that important. Love is extremely important. Love is, get this, love is more powerful than the spiritual gifts. Love is more powerful than spiritual gifts. In fact, love is behind all the spiritual gifts. Here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. Are you there? Look at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, if you had amazing spiritual gifts and didn't have love to go with those gifts, those gifts would be worthless. So in verses 4 through 8, Paul goes on. Look at it. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then move down to verse 13, we see this. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So love is more powerful than spiritual gifts. Here's how we ought to see the spiritual gifts and love. Love stands behind the spiritual gifts. Or you can say it this way, love is the foundation for spiritual gifts. Now let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5. And go with me to verse 7. Galatians 5, 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who 
unsettle you and emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom, note this, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You need the Spirit's help to learn to be a lover, like God wants you to be a lover. And then verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So note this. Love is one of the purposes for the spiritual gifts. God gives spiritual gifts. I believe that all people who are believers in Jesus Christ have spiritual gifts. You may not even realize what yours are. But God intends for you to serve Him. Serve Him in the church. Serve Him with your life. And as you take steps of obedience, I think you'll begin to discover your spiritual gifts. Sometimes people can see them before you can. And say, hey, have you ever thought about doing this with your spiritual gift? And you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. But love is one of the purposes for the spiritual gifts. And as you learn to love, love will empower and enable you to use your gifts to serve other people for God's glory. So spiritual gifts are not unimportant. So don't hear me saying that when I say that love is more powerful than spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not unimportant. But love is the power behind them. Or love is their foundation. When spiritual gifts are used in the power of love, they bring great honor to God. So again, a growing believer in Jesus will be growing in love. A maturing believer believer in Jesus will be maturing in love, learning to love God and learning to love others. Love is, in fact, the greatest evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. When God is at work and He is changing you and you're submitting to His Word, others around you will notice that you're becoming more of a loving person than you were before. When you're resisting God's truth, when you're running from God's truth, it's easy to become hardened and not even realize that you become a hard person. Maybe hard to live with, hard to deal with. Maybe hard in speech, hard in behavior. But when God gets a hold of you and you begin to submit to His truth and you begin to obey Him and and humble yourself before His Word, you begin to learn what it is to be loved by God. You begin to learn to love God. And you begin to learn to love others. And that will become evident to the people around you as you begin to grow and continue to grow in your faith. And I think 
that as long as we're this side of heaven, we're all going to have room to grow in this. It's not an excuse, though, to say, well, sorry, I haven't arrived yet. We do need to keep growing in love. We have all, all the reasons in the world. We have the Word of God before us. We have the Spirit in us. If we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have His help. And as you just heard in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is the first listed in the fruit of the Spirit. Love is, love is the first listed in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that's not easy, is it? It's easy, it's easy to get distracted and to put off loving those around you. It's not easy to learn to be a lover the way God defines love. It's why the Bible gives so much attention to it, I think. When you begin to read the Bible and, and, and you are aware of this, you, you begin to see it everywhere. It's good that the Bible gives us examples, isn't it? It's good to have examples when you're learning something, to have a demonstration, to have instructions, to have the steps along the way or the map for the trip or the GPS in your car. <laughs> God's Word is like that for us when it comes to love. For When it comes to all of our lives, actually, every area of our life is touched by God's Word, but especially so when it comes to learning to be a lover like God intends for you to love as you learn to love God and love others. But it's not easy. So thank the Lord for the examples that we have in the Scriptures. In fact, we saw the greatest example this morning in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So back to John 13 and verse 1, we hear these words. We looked at them closely this morning. I read them once already tonight. Let me read them again. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I would suggest that there is no greater example of love than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Going to the cross, the cruel cross, for undeserving sinners. In fact, I said it this morning, I'll say it again, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the definition of love. If you want love defined for you, go to the Bible. If you want an example, go to Jesus. Jesus' example is the most powerful example there is. God also saw fit to give us examples from godly believers who, who've gone before us. We also have an example in the life of Paul. And I want to look at one of those examples tonight. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. And look with me at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now Paul knew all about living his life in the midst of trouble. Now there was a time when Paul was Saul and he was the troublemaker 
But God got a hold of his life and changed him miraculously. And then he found himself the one who was troubled. But he did not lose his faith. He did not lose sight of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his troubles. And what a godly example we have in Paul. And here in verse 15, in the midst of his troubles, he's trying to minister to people while he's being troubled, while he's being persecuted. He's trying to minister to people while he was troubled and loving people through that period, even even in the midst of his persecution. He was loving other people, which is a powerful example to us that that we can keep loving, even though we may be having troubles and difficulties and hardships. But this is a striking passage that teaches us something about love and loving others. And we in the church desperately need to learn this. So listen, listen to that again and look at it again. Verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now, at the outset, we need to understand this. Note this. It is not our job as believers to work to get other people to love us. It's not our job, it's not your job to get people to love you. You may long to be loved. But it's not your job to to look for that and to seek out love. You're supposed to love as Jesus did without any promise of return on that love. And this is such an important truth to learn as brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. Because there will be times when you're trying to love someone in the church And they will not reciprocate your love. And you will be discouraged. And yet, you need to remind yourself, it's not my job to look for love, it's my job to give love. To serve others in love. Such an important truth for us to learn. This is important for parents to learn with children. As you, you're not becoming your children's best buddy. You're their parent. You're you're disciplining them in love. And you're looking out for them with true biblical love. You will not always be liked by your child. But that doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do. This is an important truth for children to learn. Learning that they're not to seek love, but they're to love others. If, if you share with me, I'll share with you. That's not how it works. And, and you can start teaching your child this at a young age. It's a, it's a good thing to teach your children, your grandchildren. It's an important learn, uh, lesson for, for people who have coworkers and you're trying to love them toward Christ. Don't expect any love back. Neighbors, Employees, employers, we need to learn this lesson. Are you learning to love others with no promise of them ever loving you back? You will never outgrow your need for this truth. 
this side of heaven, you're never going to outgrow your need to be reminded of this truth. You need to understand that God-honoring relationships are built on love and that God strengthens His church when God's people are learning to love each other and uses His church in a powerful and mighty way when God's church is learning how to love each other. And so we're not going to outgrow this need to come back to this truth and remind ourselves of it. And you need to learn that you're not supposed to go looking for love. You're supposed to go looking for people to love. You're not, you're not to look for people to love you. You're to look for people to love for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their own needs, spiritual needs. Again, maturing Christians in the church are not looking to be loved. They're looking for people in God's church to love and looking around in their lives for for people that God has put in their lives and seeking to love them in God-honoring ways. Maturing Christians need this truth and need to demonstrate love toward others. Maturing Christian husbands and wives are ought to be looking for ways to love their spouse, not looking for ways for their spouse to love them. Again, parents, you're not to be looking for ways for your children to love you. You're supposed to be looking for ways that you are to love your children. Neighbors, maturing Christian neighbor, if, you're, if you've got neighbors, you're not to be looking for love from your neighbor, but you're to be looking for ways to love your neighbor toward Christ. And if you're looking to have your needs met, hoping that people will love you the way you want to be loved, you're often going to be disappointed. You're often going to be disappointed. When you find yourself noticing that people aren't loving you the way that you want them to, be reminded of your true purpose, that you're to pursue a love for people and not pursue a love from people. Take to heart the fact that God loves you. Sometimes it's hard to remember that, but you need to remember that. You need to remember God's Word. That's why you should be in the Word, reminding yourself of the truths of God's Word. And when you don't feel like you're being loved like you think you deserve to be loved, don't ever forget that God loves you. And He loves you better than anyone ever could on earth. So take to heart that fact that God loves you, and God will often work in the hearts of others to love you, but you're not to seek that out. Seek out ways to love others. Look for ways to love others and rest in God's love for you and learn to seek to love others with no promise of love returned. Now, I want to point to five things to note, five commitments to make. Learn from this passage so that you can learn to do this and honor God with your life in this way, learning to love others. Again, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 15, where Paul says, I will most gladly, note that, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will most gladly. Here's commitment number one to make to yourself. I will love with joyful willingness. I will love with joyful willingness. So men... Love your wife with joyful willingness. Dads, it's Father's Day, dads. Love your children. Love your grandchildren with joyful willingness. Church, love one another 
with joyful willingness. Parents, father, mother, of course, love your children with joyful willingness. Love your neighbor with joyful willingness. Employee, you have a boss that's hard to love, love him anyway with joyful willingness. At the end of the day, ask yourself, this is a good question to ask yourself at the end of the day, have I loved these people in my life with joyful willingness? Have I gladly sought out ways to love them as God loves me? Note again here in verse 15, Paul says, also, I will spend, I will spend, so here's the second commitment to make to yourself. Not only will I love with joyful willingness, but I will love with selfless sacrifice. That's exactly the example of Jesus in what John was speaking of in verse 1, back in John chapter 13, which I read a few moments ago. And we looked at closely this morning when he says of Jesus that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love is sacrifice. It's the model Jesus gave. It's the model Jesus lived and died. Love is sacrifice. So how do you love? Love with joyful willingness and love with selfless sacrifice. Now here's the third commitment to make to yourself. Note how Paul says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent. So number three, commit to loving people beyond reasonable limits. Well, there's a limit to how far I'm going to love this person. No, no, no. God wants you to go further than your limit. Commit to loving beyond reasonable limits and be spent is what Paul says of himself. That is a a selfless sacrifice beyond reasonable limits. Those who love with no promise of love in return and spend and are spent, they spend and are spent, They, they love beyond reasonable limits. Again, this is how Jesus Christ served with his, with his life. He would gladly be spent on the cross for sinners. I can't help but think of a time in my life when my father, his father's dad, talked to my dad this afternoon. He's 89. Loves the Lord. And was a gracious and godly father and is I grew up and I left home and I didn't want to live under his rules anymore and I didn't want anybody telling me what to do so I joined the Marines he jokes about that I guess I actually said that one time that's the foolishness of youth right I want to do my own thing I'm joining the Marines I don't want you telling me what to do anymore I don't remember that but he does he does I didn't grow up right away. I had a car. Actually, my father helped me get the car. And he and my younger brother brought it to me in South Carolina. And I drove it for a while, but I discovered that I wanted a motorcycle. And I was spending my money as fast as I could make it, almost as, 
almost faster than I could make it. I hadn't taken out any debt yet, but I was about to. And I decided I needed a motorcycle, but I didn't have a down payment. And they said, but you've got a car. You could use that. And so I said, okay. And I traded my car for a motorcycle and a payment. And when I called my father, I think, I think he still had the title. I think I called him for the title. He blew his top. In fact, my father had such an aversion to motorcycles, and he, I think he still does, that he was so scared of me getting killed on a motorcycle. Being in the Marines was no big thing to him. Uh, <laughs> riding a motorcycle, that was scary to him. Um, he said, fine, I'll send you the title, but don't ever bring that thing to my house. Don't ever park that motorcycle in my driveway. And I thought, I said, fine, no problem. A week later, he got in touch with me and he said, I'm sending you your title, but I want you to get your car back. And so I'm sending a check with the title so that you can go back to the dealer and get your car back. That's loving beyond reasonable limits. I have thought of that opportunity. So I was a really poor money manager. And that actually didn't help me um, because I struggled with money problems. That was my fault. Lack of maturity. And I've thought about that example often. And I've thought, if my, my kids ever get in that spot, I am not sending them the money. <laughs> but my dad did. And he was gracious and loving. And he loved beyond reasonable limits. And that is not the only time he did that. He was so gracious and patient with me in my young foolishness. But the greatest example we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's number four. If you want to learn to love, commit to loving others for their highest good. This one's going to be tough sometimes. Commit to loving others for their highest good. Paul says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He's talking about for their highest good. It's good to love others by caring for their physical needs. Sometimes you'll gain an opportunity to point people to the gospel when you help meet their physical needs. But their physical needs are not actually their highest good. It doesn't necessarily hurt to help them with their physical need. But their physical needs are not their highest needs. And you need to learn to love others for their highest needs, their highest good. It is not love to indulge the flesh. It's been said that love does not participate in another's folly. Love does not participate in another's folly. I know that if I had chosen to do certain things, I would have found the limit of my father's love, where he would say, I am not participating in that folly. There may come a time in your life when to show someone true love, 
you have to refuse to participate in their folly. If you're really going to love someone, you may have to make a very hard decision with someone you love when they say, if you love me, you'll approve of this way that I'm living. And you're going to have to remember to love them for their highest good in spite of what they say. When a loved one decides to indulge the flesh in opposition to the truth of the Word of God, you cannot endorse what they're doing and call it love. You can't say, okay, I'll approve because I love you. You have to say, no, I can't approve because I love you. So love is loving others for their highest good. And what is their highest good? It's the saving of their soul, first of all. That may be what you're talking about when it comes to something like that. The saving of their soul is their highest good. It's also, once they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also a growing and maturing spiritual life. It's also encouraging them to live in obedience to God's Word and and worshiping with God's people. Now, number five, if you want to learn to love, you will love trusting God for help. You will love trusting God for help. That's why Paul says in verse 15, if I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now to Paul, what he's saying here, to Paul it seemed that the more he loved these believers, people he had led to the Lord and ministered to, it seemed to him that the more he loved these believers, the less they loved him, the less they demonstrated their love for him. Uh, The New Living Translation translates it this way, even though it seems the way, uh, even though it seems that, that the more I love you, the less you love me. But Paul knew that that real love will not be based upon love's return, but will be based upon trusting God for help. Again, you can't focus on whether you're being loved. You're to be looking around for people to love. And you've got to do that many times, looking to the Lord for help. And Paul knew that real love will love trusting God for help. Trusting God for wisdom along the way. And so these five commitments I encourage you to make in your life for the sake of the church, for the sake of our love for one another, for the sake of your family, for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your, your role in this community in which you live. First of all, I will love with joyful willingness. Secondly, I will love with selfless sacrifice. I will love beyond reasonable limits. 
Fourth, I will love others for their highest good. And I will love trusting God for help. And if you feel like you can't do this, that's a good place to start. That's actually a good thing when you realize, you know, I don't, man, this is, this is hard. I don't, I don't think I can do this. That's actually good because you can't apart from God's help. You need His help. You need His Word. You need His Spirit at work in you. Convicting you when to get this wrong. Pointing you to the truth when you need wisdom to do this right. And you're going to need to trust His Word and ask for wisdom and help in prayer in all your relationships. And if you don't feel love, if the people you're trying to love frustrate you, remember remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 6.21 that that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And a maturing believer is going to find the feelings will follow the actions. Feelings will follow actions because love is not basically a feeling, it is a commitment. Commit yourself to these actions of love. Commit yourself to loving like your Savior. Commit yourself to loving like Paul. Keep investing in those people you're seeking to love. Keep trusting God to do what only He can do in your heart and in their hearts and choose to love anyway until the feelings catch up. Learn to love. Learn to be a lover like Jesus is a lover. Learn from God's Word. Submit yourself to the truth of the Scriptures and humble yourself before the Lord and ask for His help. And commit yourself to being a person who loves and seeks out people to love and doesn't seek to be loved. And yet you will find that you are loved by God. You are always loved by God. And He will give you wisdom and help and strength and encouragement along the way, even though it may be difficult at times. We can praise God for that.